Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your first Friday follow-up episode for Season 12, Episode 1, Up the Hill. In this first episode, we just got a little taste of the case that we're going to be covering this season on Truth and Justice, just some very basic facts of what happened on the night of September 17th, 2006. I'm joined today in the studio by Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. And remotely by the wonderful host of our follow-ups, Miss Janet Varney. Hey, everybody. I am so excited. I'm sure you are as well about digging into season 12. That's right. So after a quick break, we're going to get right into your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right. Uh, I know, Janet, on your outline, you had a couple, a couple of housekeeping things. Zach, I told you to write one down. What was it? Obsessed Fest. Obsessed Fest. That's right. So a um, uh, c- couple live show things coming up. So we still have uh, some tickets available for the April 16th show in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, that's with me and the captain and Kelly Brink from uh, True Crime IRL. Great. Uh, I don't know how many tickets are left, but I know there's still a few. It's a big theater that holds like 400 people. But de- you should definitely check that out. You don't have to be in Michigan either. So Grand Rapids, for those of you who don't know where it's at, if you're in Chicago, it's only, what would that be, maybe three hours? Three hours probably. From Indianapolis is maybe four hours. Uh, the captain's coming from Columbus, Ohio, so it's not very far. But yeah, we still got a few tickets left for that. I think the VIP section is sold out, but the regular uh, seats are available there. And then uh, Patrick from True Crime Obsessed reached out and wants me to come to Obsessed Fest, the first ever uh, True Crime Obsessed weekend. It sounds like a fucking blast. It's going to be September 30th through October 1st or 2nd, something like that. It's in Columbus, Ohio. I will be there for that. I know Maggie's going to be there. Uh, of course, Jillian and Patrick and, and Robbie Chowdhury is going to be there. I don't know who else is going to be there. Sounds like a super fun weekend. Lots of live shows. 
Uh, I don't know what, what exactly is going on. It says that there's going to be panels, but not the boring kind. Uh, sounds <laughs> okay. like fun. There's going to be a karaoke contest, which that, uh, Patrick has told me that I am required to sing at, which will be upsetting for everyone. I uh-huh. think. What song would you sing? I put a lot of thought on this. I've got anybody who listens to True Crime Binge knows that my typical go-to karaoke song, if I get forced into it, is American Pie for the simple oh, reason boy. that, number one, it's in a key, if that's a thing. I don't understand how music works. Uh-huh. But it, I don't know either. It's in a key that's that's easy to sing. Okay. And number two, you only have to get through the first verse. And then everybody sings with you. Right. Perfect. And as soon as you get to the chorus, the entire bar will sing with you. Perfect. And so you don't have to sing well done. Long, so long well song, done. though. Yeah. Long song. Bold choice long in how long it is. Long it goes on for a while. Yeah. Yep. I just sang uh, uh, Lionel Richie's All Night Long on the cruise that I was on, and it Okay. Was, but you're probably great. like a trained singer, aren't you? It's almost worse to do karaoke when you're a trained singer because you expect things to happen that don't because it's like a backing track. I, this is this is something I've researched. A lot of people who sing for a living hate karaoke, and I don't sing for a living, but um, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So the other thing I thought about doing that just feels like it would be fun for me to do, I don't know if I could pull it off, though, is uh, Elvis's Jailhouse Rock. Oh, right. sure. Like oh, it. that would I be like great. It. That's a great one. Right. Yes. But is it a little on the nose? Maybe, but it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a short song. It was back when songs were like two minutes long. Yeah, so you know, I like it. I'm into it. Right. It's on brand. It's not on the nose. It's on brand. It's on brand. Similar, exactly different. Right. So, Obsess Fest. I think tickets are available now for Obsess Fest. So check that out. Just look up. I don't know what the website is. Look up. Look it up. But uh, <laughs> this all just happened in like the last day. Uh, so we got the April 16th show, Grand Rapids. We got Obsessed Fest. Of course, we got Crime Con. You can still use code Rough for Crime Con. That's coming up at the end of April. Um, I think that's all I have for, for any live shows. There were some other, did did everything else written down for housekeeping stuff? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I guess this, I don't know if this counts as housekeeping, but I, it's been really, really interesting and exciting to see what's happening in the Adnan Syed case. Also a little bit bittersweet, right? Because what's happened for Adnan is what we were all hoping would happen for the West Memphis three folks. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so uh, we've actually had some very positive news out of uh, Anand's case. Uh, so we have um, – what, what's happened is I, – I was talking to Robbie on the phone the other day. So essentially she ended up hiring an attorney that works with the In- Innocence Project for Adnan, uh who happens to know Marilyn Mosby, the DA, in, in Baltimore. And she was able to get – Mosby to actually take a look at the case because you know the, the, we've had you know Thero Vignaraja whatever his name was the asshat that uh, was running that office for so long that has been fighting tooth and nail against Anand's um, exoneration uh, so he's gone or he's not a part of this anymore and now all of a sudden we have the DA's office working with us so here's a great example of what could have happened yes with the West Memphis three case last week I think it was Friday. The, a joint motion was filed for a ton of new DNA testing. And so a joint motion is what we were hoping for with the West Memphis 3 case, which was, means the defense and the prosecution came together and said, we both want to do, and it's a ton of testing. They've, stuff that's never been tested before. Hayes, Hayes clothing, uh, the rape kit. There's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that, is, that was collected that was never tested. Um, they went together to the judge and said, we want to test this stuff. And then what happened was what should have happened in the West Memphis 3 case was literally the next business day, which was Monday of this week or it might have been Tuesday. Uh, the judge saw that it's a joint order and just and just ordered the testing. So, boom, Huge. just like that, one day, bam, Adnan's case is getting a ton of new DNA testing done. 
Um, and we're really hoping that um, that will finally track down and figure out exactly who killed Heyman Lee in 1999. Do you know if they're moving forward with like MVAC or how are they going to do it? I don't know what they're going to, what method they're going to use. I think MVAC may be on the table. Cause I, I think if they could use MVAC, I mean, that, that helps push a lot forward for us in the West Memphis 3 as well. Yeah. Conversely, on the West Memphis 3 case, of course, we had uh, the, the motion which Cressman did not join. And then Cressman gave his ridiculous, asinine response to, uh, to which Damien's team gave one of the best response uh, uh, motions or filings that I've ever seen, where they just ripped it to shreds. Uh, the, you, know, the, <laughs> you guys heard it all. I broke it all down. Um, and so in that case, the judge has ordered oral arguments in a hearing that's going to take place on June 23rd in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Zach and I have already committed. We're going. We'll We're be going there. to be there. Um, and Damien has put out that he wants as many people there as possible. So mark your calendars, June 23rd. Uh, I see Janet's looking at a calendar right now. I Maybe am looking at coming. a calendar. I would love to come. That'd be fun. We could finally meet in person. I know. Of all the time I've been in LA, somehow we've never met when I've been there. I know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, June 23rd, uh, and I believe it's in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We'll have more details as it gets closer, but we want to have a, a, a big showing there for that hearing and a show of support for the West Memphis three to get this testing done. Uh, but this is the hearing that was avoided in a non's case because you had a, a district attorney that is actually searching for the truth along with the defense. And didn't so she go as- off to Marilyn Mosby? What's yeah, that? I was just going to say, didn't she go as far as to sort of say, whereas in some cases we've, as we've talked about on the podcast, the whole sort of evidence absence of evidence is not evidence of absence where, you know, people are quick to say like, well, that doesn't mean anything. Didn't she actually say something that basically was like, and by the way, whether we find someone else's DNA on it or not, if Adnan's isn't on there, that is significant. Didn't she say something like that that sort of already laid the groundwork for like, and by the way, please don't think that I that that's going to mean to me that, you know, that that it changes nothing. I think it's significant if Adnan's DNA is not found on any of those items. Right. It, yeah. It's huge, it, it, right? From what Rabia said. Yeah, that basically that Mosby's looked at the case file enough to she's I think already has inklings towards the idea that Adnan may be innocent, and I think that it, what she's what she's told the defense from what I understand is yeah that if they test all this stuff for DNA and Adnan's DNA is not found that she would consider that uh, actually evidence of absence, which is not always the case. Yeah, uh, more exonerating kind of stuff and. I remember yeah, so it could be exonerating. I just rewatched the case against Adnan Syed um, recently after uh, Rabia's. The, there's a free Adnan support page on Patreon. I'm sure some of you are part of that as well. And she had given a little uh, update, a very short update um, to people who support Adnan and are donating to his legal fund uh, quite a few weeks ago saying, I can't tell you what's going on, but this is going to be a really good year for Adnan. Like really good stuff is happening. And so in anticipation of that, I went and listened to uh, the her book, I listened to a non-story for like the fourth time. Uh, I re I re-listened to a bunch of early episodes of Undisclosed, and I rewatched the case against Adnan Sayed, and I remembered that you know they there was that district attorney that was in that documentary who was so pro Adnan and was like, if I get elected in this election, this case goes away. I he needs to be out of prison. And right. then Marilyn Mosby got elected instead. And everyone was really crestfallen, like, oh, she has not made the same kind of statements. So it's so encouraging that, that this is still going well for him, right. you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And Rabia told me she cannot, and it's not even me being coy like, uh, she told me, but I can't tell you. She won't tell me either 
Uh, but w- when we were talking last week, she said that, that that she really feels like he's going home this year. Oh, so she said great. she can't tell me. That's amazing. That's really awesome. She said she cannot tell me why, oh, but I but, but the impression I got was that this DNA is just the tip of the iceberg. That oh. there's a lot more going on there. Maybe someday we'll find out what uh what the bombshells are, what yeah. Colin's bombshells are. We've been hearing about them for years. Right, right. The big <laughs> bombshells from Colin. Well, and also I found out in Rabia's Instagram post the other day uh, that I hadn't, which I didn't know, was that just a couple of years ago, they offered a non-apledium. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They offered him, and I don't know if I missed it or if it was never shared before, but they no, offered him, I think there. it was like, it was like four more years yeah. or something. It's in the documentary, yeah. buddy. Oh, is it? Wow. I <laughs> it's in episode four. Part. <laughs> <laughs> you get a pass. You've been working on a lot of other stuff. You get a, you get a serious pass on that. Uh, J- Real quick, JP, since we're talking about this, JP on YouTube asks, will you be live streaming or posting on the uh, 23rd of June? Would love to follow the day's developments. Any any plans? For to, sure. We'll yeah, be doing. Um, gosh, it's been so long. So at, not, at Adnan's last hearing, I was doing back in the days of Periscope every time we had a break in the hearing. Um, so but now we'll probably be doing YouTube. Live. But yeah, we'll we'll absolutely keep everybody informed of what's going on with that. Very cool. Uh, and with that being said, we got a we've got a new case, a new season. We what sure do you guys do. think? Oh, I'm Man, so excited. Man, I am, I, I am excited. It's about time, first of all. <laughs> okay, wow. First, well, I speak all right, for, let's get well, the insults out of the way. all the listeners. First. <laughs> no, I, I feel like I'm, I'm the voice of the listeners, right? So it's about time. But I, I know this is, this has taken a lot of work, and I, I'm really excited to hear about this case. And I think you set the picture really well for us. You know, the community is really strange, but it also seems like the perfect place for a crime like this to be committed. I mean, there's Right. There's the houses are far and few between. It's out in the desert. There's little to no response. If there's a response time, I mean, mm-hmm. this this community seems like if this a crime like this is going to occur, this is the place for it to happen. Yeah, very. It, part of it is like, yeah, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It'd be easy to get away. But then the other part of it is, you'd think that it would be difficult to like how many cars are on the road at ten o'clock at night. Sure. And, and, and there's, they make, there, there's and it makes noise because it's a dirt that. road. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, this is always the hardest part. I'm sure that the uh, many listeners share my sentiments, which is in some ways, these first couple of episodes are the hardest of the season because it you raise so many questions. And these are such avid listeners and sleuths that everyone wants to ask questions that we know the answers are probably coming. But it's so hard not mm-hmm. to want to get all of that information right away. It's so hard for me to write because I like I might what I want to do is sit down and write a four hour episode and tell everybody everything, but it just it's not the way I've mm-hmm. number one. It's just you know we'd have one episode for the show. Not that it only takes four hours; it's going to take a lot longer than that. Um, but you know our methodology of of studying these cases is to do go point by point. But sure. I mean, even th- we're just going to go over victimology this week, and even that's going to get people's heads spinning. I guarantee, like you're going to lose your mind when you hear this week's episode. Also, I'll, I'll just kind of foreshadow a little bit for you guys. I've had – so there were two people convicted of this crime, obviously, or we wouldn't be doing it. It's really difficult for me sometimes to figure out how to present the case. Do I go right into the case against them or do we break down our investigation and look and see you know, what things look like? I've opted for the latter partially because this case was cold. The, the first arrest wasn't made in this case for eight years. Immediate red flag. Immediate red flag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know where this case is going. I don't know where anything's Same, going yeah. in this case. But it doesn't seem like, you know, with those setup, it doesn't seem like there's any lack of suspects. 
Right. Everybody Mm. that lives up there could be a suspect. I mean, you heard from Carissa, the lady you interviewed. Yeah. And she talked about the the strange people that live there. You know, some people just want to be away, but some people, I mean, the the loincloth guy, the ex-cop or or police officer that wore night vision goggles, the person that chased around the quad. I mean, there's all these, like, it wasn't necessarily safe up there. You know, I mean, there there was a lot going on. Well, and we don't know anything about the victims. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we don't even know what the motive would be. Three victims. So you got three sets of victimology there. The crime scene is super confusing, which we're going to get in. We're going to dig in. I'm sure a lot of these questions are about the crime scene, but Some obviously we're going to break it down in, in detail. I'm I'm working with Jim. I was supposed to go walk the crime scene with Jim Clemente last month. He ended up getting COVID on that trip. Everybody got COVID on that trip. I, it was kind of a wasted trip. It turned out. Um, but he's still. We're going to try to do it without actually physically being there, which shouldn't be a problem. Um, so we're going to break down the crime scene. But yeah, there's just – it's like understanding the crime scene, understanding the medical evidence and understanding the victimology of everyone is – there's just a lot here. One mm. of the big things I got from Carissa was literally the idea of like everybody up there was just supposed to mind their own business. Mm. I mean, and, and you said that with with everything being fenced in. Right. Yeah. And, and she talked about there being you know people growing weed up there or ex-meth dealers, you know. My first theory is like maybe those people weren't minding their own business, quote unquote. And got mm-hmm. into something. Right. I mean, you know, we talked about victimology and say we we're moving forward into victimology next week. So I don't know all the risk factors because we haven't heard it. But I mean, like a major risk factor to me right now is just the fact that they live there. Where they live. Right. That's a great point. And I, I, I echo what a lot of these, these listeners and folks who've commented have said, which is you did do such a great job kind of setting the tone for the series, uh, for the season. And I think... You know, many of us, whether or not that sounds like both a very unique community, but a lot of us know a community like that, you know, near where Mm -hmm. we grew up or near where we live now. We sort of many of us have our own version of that, like, oh, yep, I know that community um, in some way, shape or form. And so it's going to be really interesting to see as we meet perhaps more of the players in that community um, how it's set apart and and what could have happened. I mean, I can't even imagine who's in prison for this. I'm so fascinated already. Well, you know, one of the things she said that struck me, and you alluded to it afterwards, but literally as she's talking to you, she says, oh, yeah, the first murders. Right. I mean, it just seems like this is not unusual. And then you said afterwards there was murders, there was child abductions, there was assault, there was- UFOs. There was assaults. Kid UFOs. disappeared. Kid disappeared. Like this is, you know, I guess this is a time to like, this you you could see if anybody went on the website and looked at like the maps and stuff and the aerial photos. Yeah, like it's it's desolate out there. There's a story of these two guys that like two brothers are out working on a chainsaw and their four year olds kind of running around out in the yard and they looked up and the kid's gone, broad daylight, oh. search and search. Kid was to this day has never been found. Wow, just disappeared in the middle Oof. of the day. That's crazy. No idea what happened. I mean, there's a there's a clown that lives up there. Okay, that's now you're going too far. Don't get there's into a, a clown. That's too much for us. So listen, there is, I was going to mention this episode was just, it was, it was so hard to kind of pick and choose how to lay this out. But yeah, there's a, he's like a, a, somebody, everybody in, in the Coachella Valley knows about Harpo the clown who just goes from like every day wanders through restaurants. He's a silent clown who doesn't speak, which is what the, why they call him a silent clown. Um, but, but it goes around, people take pictures with him and stuff. It, he lives up there. He's one of the closest houses to. The Murray's been up there for 30, 40 years, however long he's been up there. I've I've been told that he doesn't speak even when he's not dressed up. Like one somebody I, I talked to someone who hired him to come do like a birthday party and he wouldn't talk to them. 
Very strange. Yeah. I, 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 you should I, get an interview with him. I, you know what? I emailed him through his website. I did email because I was like, well, I know you don't talk, so, but Wait, he never emailed me back. Is Harpo the Mark's brother who never talked? Is that why he's called that? It Full disclosure, be. I don't know anything about the Marx Brothers, but that's a that wild very guess. well could be. I had a un, a, an unconfirmed that story. Might be right that you because know, because everybody's like heard stories about. So some of the stuff I got to be careful with because like I have an unconfirmed story that I was told that on the day of the murders that there was a woman walking naked down the street down Alpine Road, screaming and yelling that she was going to burn all you motherfuckers to the ground, which is. A pretty big risk factor. Yeah, right? that Sounds seems like, like but a I don't really. Know yeah, that could sure not be true. Also, right. I have no idea if that's true or not. It's, there's just so many rumors that yeah. have generated around. So, kind of getting back to what I was saying before, with kind of my approach is, I, I think the best way to tackle this case is to start at the beginning, work through the you know the the basic steps that we always take, right? Looking through victimology and breaking down the crime scene and doing a profile and and working out from there before we get to the people who were later convicted. Yeah. Well, I would love to start that I might go a little bit out of order uh, on these questions. I hope that doesn't mean I accidentally skipped something. I, I probably should have made uh, I want I should have put them in a certain order. But um, just to start out with, because this is definitely something that came into my mind and, and Zap, I'm sure it came into yours as well. You know, as soon as we hear that a fire is the sort of major component of this case, I'm sure many of us, including Mike here, who who wrote in, uh, thought about your background. I'm looking forward to a case where your personal expertise, Bob, he says, will come into play. Did this play a role in your choosing the case? And then a follow up question to that is, have you stayed up to date with any changes in arson science? I mean, even just going up into the desert uh, where everything is flammable. I live in L.A. and everything is always on fire. Um, <clears throat> I wonder when you go into places like that, do you immediately sort of see it always through a firefighter's eyes first? Definitely. And it, di- it did play a role in the fact that as I was starting to study the case a little bit and um, reading through like the arson investigators reports from trial, I immediately. So I, I've said before, some people will call arson investigation junk science and it can be. But what makes it a junk science is when. I've always overzealous arson investigators try to say that they can tell you something that they can't possibly tell you. That's it's common. It happens all the time. So I I can go to I can look at a fire, most fires, and break it down, and we call it digging. You know, where you because you literally pull all the rubble out and sift through it until you can get down to the bones of the structure and look at burn patterns and things. I can generally, in most cases, tell you where. The fire started. We call it point of origin. So, what, what what is the point of origin? And then I can look for heat sources, and you know, look at the electrical wiring, and you know, there's evidence if there was a short or something like that. I can oftentimes then tell you what the cause. You know, so like like the the class that I I have taught in 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 the fire science program at our local college was called cause and origin. What caused the fire and where did it start? What I can't tell you is who did it other than through like interview tactics, things, you know, regular investigative steps. And, and timing is a big one. And, and what I saw, we'll, we're going to get into this in depth later. But one of the things that I saw with this is in order to make things work, the arson investigator was like, no, because of X, I know that this fire started at this time. Right. And it's complete bullshit. There are too many. There are way too many unknowns. To, so, for example, so if, if you say, well, we know that Tim Summerlee saw the fire in this stage at 945. That's a timestamp we know we have. 
And we know when the fire trucks got there at 10, 12, that the house was fully engulfed in flames. So therefore, we can determine that the fire started at 938 or, you know, or no later than this. The problem with that is how many windows were open? Was there a breeze? What was the, you know, what was the draft? You know, what was the draft like? Was there accelerants used? How much accelerants were used? You know, how many points of origin do you have? If you have multiple ignition points, there's all these unknowns that can affect how a fire, you know, what was the fuel load in the house? How many couches were there? What were the couches made out of? These are all things that affect how a fire grows. So the, so um, one of the very first red flags I saw was that we have an arson investigator telling you when that fire started, and that's bullshit. Hmm. Great. Do you think if Becky's body wasn't found outside where it was found in the wheelbarrow that they would have just maybe chalked it up to a tragic accident, tragic house fire? Like if she was found in the house with the, the her mother and stepfather, mother and mother's boyfriend? Yeah, it was a boyfriend. They weren't married, but essentially stepfather. Um, I don't know because I don't, I don't really know the protocol if they – I've had many fires like this where people have died in them. I don't know that they've ever done x-rays. Hmm. on them okay. so i maybe they have and i don't know because it's just not part of my job to know but th- but that's how that was determined that there were gunshot wounds is they did x-rays and they thought we'll learn this and we do over medical evidence but the you know john had had pellets from a shotgun in his body and and vicky had a slug from a 40 caliber pistol mm-hmm. in her body they found through the x-rays i don't know if they would have done those x-rays if they had just showed up in the house and just burned yeah if Be- if becky's body wasn't right consumed becky's outside. body is what flagged this as a crime and yet she wasn't shot right i mean you said that the her cause of death was undetermined right well yeah it's it's so and again we'll get into this but yeah she wasn't we don't know that she wasn't shot the, the problem is like a, a large part of her chest cavity had burned so badly that there was no you know there could have been a through and through shot uh, okay you know that that went through, and they were unable to if it didn't hit a rib or what either or, or through the abdomen. There, there's there are possibilities that they just were unable to determine how she died. It seems like it's got to be such a tough call. How much? How many further steps you would take when there are deaths in a fire for the very reason that you've stated, which is that if it's known that people often set fires or that people can set fires to cover up crimes, when you have casualties. You'd sort of imagine that it would be a go-to every time to do x-rays be just to make sure, but right. if it's happening often enough, maybe that's just not even always a consideration. Yeah, so you know, for the, like the motives from arson, we usually say are for fraud, for money, for revenge, or to cover up a crime. It's usually one of those. So, yeah, if there's any if there's any suspicion at all that you're trying to cover up a crime, then I would imagine that, you know, x-raying the bodies would be would be a step. And again, that may have happened in every case that I've worked. I don't know because I've never been a part of that. Gotcha. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A lot of these comments and questions um, center around, unsurprisingly, and I think we can jump to this in a second, the wheelbarrow, right? That did really uh-huh. stand out for a lot of people. Before we get into that, just a couple more questions about the fire arson kind of side of this. And you may or may not have the answers or may be planning on talking about this. Uh, Rebecca asks, how long did it take for the fire trucks to arrive after the 9-11 call was placed or multiple calls? How much time were the neighbors on scene before the trucks got there? And how long would it take for a house to become fully engulfed in flames? So the timing is for it to become fully engulfed in in flames is there's a lot of unknown factors. There's no way to time that. As far as the response time, we're going to get into it into some in some very detailed timeline later. What's sticking in my head is that the fire trucks arrived at ten twelve. Um, so that's you're you're talking damn near you're twenty seven minutes something like that. And so the fire station, if you look at the map on the on the website. And you see where it says like Highway 74 is the paved road. So where Pinion comes out and hits Highway 74, if you were to hang a left, it's like a quarter mile down, if that, the fire station's right there. Mm-hmm. But in the, and we're going to get into the, the fire captain's testimony for driving up there in a later episode. Um, but, but they did, they got stuck on the way. I told you the roads Ugh. are so horrible. Yeah. They, on the way up there, they turned and got stuck, stuck in some sand and had oh, to back God. out and pull out. It was a, I'm telling it's a and it, and that that's important. It, it, me laying out that that part of the scene is important to understand when you start to, when we get into the actual suspects that were that were arrested and how they got away and what they were driving and all that. I mean, because the, the roads, are, even the parts that aren't washed out, it's like hard dirt road and there'll be a jagged rock that sticks up sure. five inches out of the out of the road, like it just rip your oil pan off if you drove through with like a, a car that's lowered down. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the fire trucks getting stuck is just another example of that, that it's just the roads were just terrible and unpredictable. Another question about the fire itself. Megan asks, uh, was an accelerant used? Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're going to get into the arson investigation report. But yeah, there were. So in, in the on the website and there, there's a diagram of the house in there. The, and that was actually drawn by. Becky's father, uh, Ron, who actually built the house himself way back, you know, they, he used to lead in the dirty more, obviously, but you'll see there's like red circles, mm-hmm. those yeah, red circles. I, I, I believe, yeah, I believe that's where they found, they, they found that there was accelerant where the red okay. circles are on that map. Gotcha. So let's shift into, there's some kind of big picture questions, but maybe it would good to go out with those. Uh, let's shift into the many wheelbarrow questions. Patty says, and there are some similar questions here. Patty says, I gather from the answers he gave, the man that witnessed the body in the wheelbarrow lives or lived at the southeast side of San Carlo Road. Did he have a clear view? I think you said he did. He did. Yeah, he actually did live in the southeast side of of that road. And again, you can go to the website, look at the map. But so it's, I don't know the distance. It's probably three or 400 yards away. But the where the back of the property where Alpine Road is, where the crime scene is, is kind of at the top of the hill. The entire neighborhood slopes down to Highway 74. So from his front bedroom, and he took me into his bedroom and showed me, you could look out and see up that hill. So when the house was standing, he would have been able to just see probably the top third of the second story of of that house looking up the hill. And okay. the, the flames were coming out of the peak. 
So it was it was at the very top. He was able to look out and just see those flames coming out. That's actually really helpful because even though you took great care to describe that it's considered going up the hill, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I sort of imagined the community itself being uphill from the valley, but it being kind of flat. Because when I think of desert and I think of those kinds of communities that I'm familiar with, it's sometimes those are sort of on a plateau. And so it's actually right. really good to imagine that when he's looking out to that house, he's actually still looking uphill. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it's a gradual slope in the neighborhood. It is kind of a plateau compared to the mountain road to get up to it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely the elevation goes up as you move to the back of the neighborhood. Well, and it becomes a little more easy. Like you said, it's so private. Um, if there's a different, mm -hmm. if there's a difference in heights in the in the landscaping, then sometimes it is easier to see or not see, based on like, well, it's a right. little up the hill, so I actually could see that. You know, um, okay, great. Uh, Marie says, I'm confused where the neighbor was standing when he saw the body in the wheelbarrow. He said he was at the garage looking at the open door into the house where he saw the body in the wheelbarrow, looking at the drawings and case notes. How was it possible he saw the body from where he was standing? He also says the stairs were on his right. Maybe I need to. I love that she ended it with maybe I need to listen to this again. That section <laughs> I did. I mean, I listened to this episode uh, three times and I you kind of do need to really sit with that description and really try to picture it and look at those notes because there's a lot of information coming there. Right. Um, yeah. Do you want to. It's definitely that? Yeah. If, if you. Yeah. It's, it's much easier if you look at it with the diagram of the scene. So we're, so he and I, after we were done doing the interview, he actually rode up to the crime scene with me and we went out there and, and stood out there to see where he was at. And if you're looking at the diagram, so you see there's, um, there's like the Ford Bronco that's on the little concrete patio right in, or, you know, spot in front of the garage that's off to the right. The garage door as you're facing the garage would be on your left. There's only a single garage door on, on your left if you're looking at the garage. So he was standing. Back in the driveway, looking into, so he's probably still 30, 40 feet away from the house or the garage, looking th through the open garage door, and then in the back of the garage is the open house door. Now, he said he saw stairs, but I believe what he actually saw were the, there, there were stairs going up to that door. I see. Um, okay. I think that's what it, because you, because I don't think you could to actually see, see the deeper stairs into inside the, house the house from there. Yeah, mm -hmm. that seems. Like yeah, there's, I think there was, a, I think based on the drawings, there was a wall there. Um, but yeah, so he was, so he's standing out of the driveway, you know, straight out from the garage. And then if he turned to his right, which would be further to the north, northwest a little bit, it was up there is where the wheelbarrow was. But, you know, looking at the diagram, it, it looks like if you came straight up the driveway, coming up the driveway, uh -huh. you're looking directly in the direction of, of, Becky. Where, of Becky, where the wheelbarrow was. Yeah. And, and their diagrams and the one I have on it in our board out here. I, from the actual aerial photos and from being out there, I drew it a little. So they drew the driveway as kind of going straight up, but it actually, it, from Alpine Road, the driveway is offset a little more to the right, and it kind of curves up to the left, up into the house. So it kind of wouldn't be in your view, and there was cars in the way, but where mm -hmm. he was standing, there was like this perfect spot between cars and and pine trees where there was a clear view directly to where Becky was body was in the wheelbarrow. And it does seem like if it's at night and there's nothing else out there, if there's something out at the corner of your eye that's that's light, you're right. going to turn and look at it. Yeah, right. and, and we had a long talk about that because he was, you know, he said he doesn't remember there being flames, mm -hmm. but then you know, we we, we kind of together determined that the, that she, the body obviously had to be. We know the firefighters had to extinguish her body, okay? So it was on fire, and there's, I mean, 
this this is pretty awful, but 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 just for you to understand, I mean, this is what we got to do. There, there. When a body is burning, especially in something like a wheelbarrow that's going to contain the body, mm-hmm. you've got a couple phase. So that so assume it's assumed that they poured some accelerant on the body and lit it on fire. So you have the initial burst of flame from the accelerant. That then catches clothes on fire. There's some sustained burning from the accelerant that's in the barrel. And then there's a second. The the fire might start to die down, but the fat on your body actually renders, so to speak, and becomes like an oil. Mm. Um, And then, you know, since it's in a wheelbarrow that's catching that, your your fat on your body is 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 very flammable, Uh, and so so. It could be that the fire was died down, and then as more and more of of that process had happened, that the flames picked back up again. Hmm. But I, but we kind of determined that because we looked at it, that there's, there's no way there was any light. Remember, it's pitch dark. There's no moon. It's way, the sun's way down. There's no exterior lights. And where she was at way back there, there was trees between the house and her. There's the only way he could have seen her. Yeah. Is if there was flames coming from? Oh, the it's so eerie and horrible. You really described it. You said it's mm-hmm. like something out of a nightmare. Um, right. I'm really glad that you uh, and Zap, maybe you agree. I- I'm really glad that you just set that out and set that straight because I was wondering, could she was someone trying to get her out of the fire and it was too late? Like I, in my mind, I wasn't clear that those are two separate fires. The fu- the intentional fire in the wheelbarrow right. and the intentional fire in the house. I didn't know. Whether or not it could be that, you know, one led to the other or someone was trying to get her away. I just I didn't know. So that's really important to to know and imagine. Unfortunately, it's awful. It gets even more perplexing because and again, when we get into the crime scene, we'll break down all these details. But the wheelbarrow is pointing towards the house. This is Daniel's you know, question. Has- this is Daniel's question. Yeah, he wants to he wanted to know was where is it facing? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's. The, you know, the handles of the wheelbarrow are facing north towards the National Forest or towards the desert. And and her legs are hanging off that side towards the, the handle side. And then her body's in it and then her head kind of goes up to the front, the end you would like tip over, which is towards the house. And there's some other weird things. One of the reasons I wanted Jim to go to the crime scene is it's, it's downhill. Right? I told you the whole neighborhood gradually slopes down. so. If the wheel was the is the wheelbarrow a red herring, right? Was the wheelbarrow just there, and then her body was put in it right. to light her on fire, or was her body being moved with the wheel? It certainly wasn't being moved away from the house in the wheelbarrow because it's backwards. Yeah, unless they twisted and turned it around. But it, it, and if it was coming from say out of the desert or something, if they're going toward like if you if you brought her that far, why wouldn't you just continue? Into the house, which is downhill, which right. would be the easier part of that. Pa- it's, it's it's there's a there's a lot, lot, lot to unpack. Is there any question of whether or not that would have happened, but the neighbors got there too quickly? Like it sounds like it would just be impossible to to get away fast. Like oh, to know someone's coming and to not be seen leaving seems impossible. That yeah, like that's, to be stopped short from that action seems kind of impossible. And there's some weirdness there too. I'm trying to say how much I should break down now or later, but I know with this is called episode one of a new season. It's happening. Well, because there's so many mind numbing mysteries here. So I, I guess because I was going to put it in the first episode, but it just I didn't want to confuse anybody and add more to it. But you heard 
Tim describe that he looked through the open garage door. In the crime scene photos, the garage door is down and the firefighters had to cut it open. What? Hmm. What? That's such a specific detail. You're saying you can see into the door of the house. What? And there's that that was the main reason I took him up to the crime scene because all it's there is a is a is a a concrete foundation now. And I told him because he's like, I'm certain of it. I am certain. He's I looked into the garage, through the garage, through another open door into the house, and there were stairs and stuff. And then, and then when I knew that 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 he had actually seen it because he had no way of knowing this, so the foundation is like flush with the ground, the the concrete foundation. Yeah. And he stood there. He goes, oh. Maybe I'm wrong. He, he said, because in my mind's eye, the door wasn't down on the ground. The door was up. He's like, it was like up three feet. It was up higher. And I see that the foundation's down there. So maybe I am wrong. But that would allude, that would allude to the stairs you talked about in the garage. But then when I go back and look at the crime scene photos, the floor was built up three feet off the foundation. Right. And it was up higher where mm-hmm. like there's, like he saw it. Well, so now the gra- how'd the garage door get down? He refer- so and been so I assume you've read transcripts of his pa- his previous interviews because he did refer mm-hmm. several times in a very responsible way to this is what my memory is telling me now. But I was interviewed right. much closer to the crime. Perhaps I said something different then. It, are there discrepancies there? Have you had a chance to review that stuff? Yeah, I have. And it, no, he's he's, he's very clear consistent. about it in, then. In the pl- yeah, wow. he was very because it was a thing then because his wife they later. In that that night, him and his wife walked up and talked to the firefighters, hmm. and the door was down. And he said, and his wife and he had a conversation where she's like, "I thought you said the door garage door was open." He said, "It was." She said, "It's down now," and it's been this like ever since then. It's been this like, what the hell? And so then there's been theories, of course. Well, maybe the murderers, you know, were still there, and they left. Yeah. But think about where they're at. How? How? How could you have you have a you have a, a dirt road with one way in one way out of the property with now a bunch of neighbors standing out on the dirt road? Yeah, and you had There's to know no that was going to happen. You had to know that was going to happen. There's no other light to see really except for the thing you've just created. Right, and then and so there, now there are times I've been to fires where the fire will call like with with the springs and cables and stuff on a garage door where the fire will burn. Those and then they'll snap and the door will come down. Mm. Actually, I have a good friend of mine that almost died in a fire because he went in through a garage to fight the fire and it got bad when he tried to back out. The fire had burned through and the garage door shut behind him and he got trapped. Um, But this was one of the old fashioned tilty type doors, you know, that doesn't go up and roll on a track. It's like a solid Solid door door. that tips, but then you got spray and there wasn't much fire in the garage. So there's some experimenting and stuff that has to be done with this later for me to figure that out, the whole garage door thing. How fascinating. But we'll move on. I probably, probably told you more about them. I'm, I'm, I'm I adding too much guaran- information. I guarantee you everyone wanted every bit of information that you just gave. I guarantee <laughs> it. I would set my savings on it. Now, you don't know how much savings I have. It's not very much. Okay. Christina, uh, <laughs> Christine, this goes back a, l- a little bit to the, the sort of accelerant question, the timing question. Just want to shout her out here because she does ask, is there any way for an arson investigator to determine if the fire in the house was started before or after the fire in the wheelbarrow. Yeah, and and the answer to that is no, um, but that didn't stop them from doing so, which is one of the things that drew me to the case. Gotcha, gotcha. Catherine sort of says what I think a lot of us were thinking. Again, just going back to the perplexing element of the wheelbarrow, the two separate kind of crime scenes, so to speak. It's just so odd, she says, 
to just put her in the wheelbarrow and leave her out in the open while at the same time trying to torch the house. I'm curious to hear about the daughter's personal timeline for the day to see if it fits that she came home while the murders perhaps were in process of torching the house. Maybe that's it. And that actually feeds into uh, questions about the, the victim's families. Pamela asks, have you reached out to or spoken with the victim's families yet? I'm going to assume they believe authorities have the right people. Feeling like this will be a tough case without their support and or cooperation. Well, it'll be like like every case. You know, very infrequently do we have the victim's family that that want to participate in anything like this. I haven't spoke, so I've I've been out to um, John Hayward's son's house and was denied entry by him into his gated community. I've talked to some friends of Becky's who know the family. One did an interview with me and suggested I talk to you know it was kind of a breadcrumb thing. Well, you need to talk to this person who was best friends with her. Talk to that person, and she's like, "If the family's not 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 doing it, I'm not doing it." And the family doesn't want. So th- my understanding is that the family believes that they got the right people, uh, which is not un- not uncommon at all, and are not open to discussing it all. I I have reached out in one way or another to everyone as best I know how. I haven't been able to find phone numbers for them. Uh, they don't all live locally, but I've like sent emails to email addresses that I think are correct and just haven't heard. So I don't know if they've received them or not, but I'm going to continue to try to do that. But I, I would not expect to hear from any of the family in this one. I don't, I, th- I think that they're, they're pretty certain they got the right people. Understood. Uh, back to the other one you did. Um, the, the time, so we're really going to dig into Becky's timeline, uh, in this Sunday's episode. So, I mean, I mentioned this before, not really knowing where the story goes, but I think that's I think that's going to be a big part for us is to try to figure out who was the intended victim mm-hmm. or was it just happenstance? If it's somebody in the house, then yeah, very possibly like the listener said, Becky could have came home during the commission of the crime. Mm-hmm. But if it was Becky, then where did the other, you know I mean? I, there's a lot. I think we really need to dig in and try to figure out who is the intended victim or, or was it just happenstance that someone came, the, the crazy woman walking down the middle of the street that's going to burn everybody down. You know, right. what, where, where is it going? I, in in this case, I think that we're going to um, – I'm going to I'm gonna double down on on profiling the scene. I've told Jim, I'm like, I've never been more baffled. I've been to this scene 15 times. And there's been you – know, when I've been out there, there were days where I just drove out there. And it's a long drive. It's a pain in the ass to get there because I just I'm, – I'm just walk A lot of times for me, if I can walk in the steps of the killer – I can see, you know, I've talked about a lot of times, like in Heyman Lee's case, like where her body was buried. Makes no sense on a map. But when I physically drove that route, I'm like, oh, that's why. Because I'm picturing this big national park or something. But but Leakin Park was not, it it was just a road that went through the woods. And it was like, oh, there's houses, there's lights. And you turn this one corner and there's the first place where there's nobody around. There's no lights and there's a little spot to turn off. I can see why they picked this spot now. I've tried doing that over and over and over again with this case. And I just, I mean, I went up there one night at 11 o'clock at night in the pitch black because I just wanted to be in the dark and kind of feel and, and, and see like, is it, is it reasonable to think anybody would be back in the desert? It's way too dark for that. Yeah. So, uh, but, but so I, I, I told Jim, I was like, I've never needed a good profile on a case like this more so. Hmm. Than this one because it's those questions like you're saying Zach are exactly we need to know because it's 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 very important for us to try to figure out who was the attended target. I'll tell you the police made an assumption, which Hmm. led to their arrest. 
I don't know if they were right or wrong about that, but you know, they, I, I think the police really assumed, well, Becky's body is out on display, mm-hmm. so they must have been after her, and the rest is collateral damage. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I'm, I'm going to reach out to Jim and then a mutual friend of ours, Janet. I thought about reaching out to um, uh, Dr. Shiloh or Dr. Oh, Scott to see if they wanted should. to take a look. Also, I'm going out there if that happens. Because side note, and this absolutely should not be in the episode. But 15 times is a lot of times for me not to have seen you at all. Um, okay. <laughs> I was, I tried to have dinner with you the last time I was there and you yeah, were out of town. That was one time. Okay. Brian, uh, for, I want to give also a shout out to our YouTube friends because uh, way before you even said anything about the garage door and the springs and burning, they were all over that. So there were many of you. Shout out to you because I just glanced down after you had said that and said, oh, they were all saying that. Before even the expert weighed in. Okay, good to know. These are very smart people. Um, no surprise there. So real quick, yes. real quick on that. The interesting part about the – because I thought, that, like I said, I've seen it happen before. Not with that type of door, but I think it's possible. I need to look and see how the mechanics work. But there wasn't much fire in the garage. So I need to really do a good analysis of where the heat transfer would have been if that door was open, if there would be enough heat. With the open door to the house, it's possible – that the main body of fire would be in the house, but there would still be enough radiant heat coming into the high, you know, the springs are at the top, the the high part of the garage to cause some expansion, cause that to happen. But uh, yeah, we're definitely going to be digging more into the garage door. Okay. So we'll find out more about whether it was automatic or manual, like Pamela Westby asked, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Great. Um, yep. Just going a little bit again into victimology, Brian says, maybe jumping ahead, hard not to with the uh, first episode, agreed. But do you think Becky was a target and was this revenge over something? I'm only thinking that because the killers took the time to separate her and put her in the wheelbarrow outside in the back, or perhaps, as many of our YouTube friends have said as well, just in this chat, could it be possible she tried to get away, was caught in the back of the house? Is it, uh, JP said early in the chat, is it a red herring? Is that wheelbarrow a red herring? I can't wait to dig into that more because it is a huge question mark for us. Yeah, and I don't have an answer for you. I, I I have an opinion. But I'm not even going to share my opinion until we get into um, the real breakdown of the crime scene and the profile because, yeah, it's 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 huge. I mean, think of the pool of suspects we're looking for. If we're looking for someone who targeted John and Vicky or if we're looking for someone who targeted Becky. Yeah. It's a completely different pool of suspects. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office. Wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Speaking of that, and again, I'm sure this will be a huge part in future episodes, but got to address Rebecca's question. I think a lot of people were thinking this probably as well. Becky's body being found in the pose of supplication, as you were saying in your conversation with Tim, Rebecca uses the term the pugilist pose. Do you always see that? Does it only happen when someone is alive when the fire starts? What's going on there? Because you knew exactly what he meant. Was he gesturing? Like, I had to look at the photo and go, it is what I thought was being described, but that seems very strange. Yeah, no, it's it's very common. So the the pugilist okay. pugilist pose, or what we call the boxer's pose, and it does it does no effect whether the person was dead or alive. What's happening is, as a body burns, and again, it's more kind of gory detail, but as a as a body burns, um, the tendons Got in it. the body become they start to dry out, and when they dry out, they shrink. Okay, and so what what happens is, uh, for those of you on YouTube, you can see me with, with my arms. If you're if you died, say, and your arm is out like this, as it continued to burn, and the tendons in your forearms and biceps and hands, fingers all start to dry out, your arms get drawn up like this, and so yeah, every every body I found that's been severely burned in a fire, they're always in this position. Okay, with their you know the kind of so that I guess trying to describe it would be, you know, with your. I guess arms at kind of right angles, your elbows tucked into your ribs. And then bent up at right angles with your hands kind of – just imagine if every tendon in right, your arms right. were contracted. That's what it, would, it looks okay. like. I'm glad that you clarified that because in the picture, it's kind of hard to see exactly where the arms are. And it's very, as you've done, tastefully redacted. Um, but when I hear supplication, I think the palms are together. Like when I hear supplication, I think someone right. is begging for their life. Like it was a very dramatic mm-hmm. word to use. So I'm very glad that you clarified that because what seemed strange to me was the idea of like somehow hands being in supplication. That's different. And to be fair, I didn't really know what he meant when he said okay. supplication. I just as you soon just as he said, said it, I know exactly what you mean. I know Those, exactly oh, okay. what. And, and then I had gestured. I'm like like this. And uh, like, yeah, I see. Like that. Okay. Like, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, widening out a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, the question of why you were drawn to this case above and beyond the fire element, Lynn wants to know, what wrongful conviction red flags alerted you to take on this case? You've mentioned the arson investigator having strong opinions when maybe they shouldn't, and the victimology of the police addressing a suspect right away. Were there anything else? Was there anything else that really stood out to you? There, uh, there's so much. I mean, and we're, and we're going to get into all of it, but yeah, the, I mean, the arson investigation thing, I already told you this was an eight-year cold case. There was an arrest. Charges were dropped, then a re-arrest two years after that. Um, got, you know, witnesses that just come out of nowhere with crazy stories later down the road. It, it, none of the evidence really make it. There's some forensic testing that, you know, th- th- there's a, you know, um, imagine forensic testing where, Multiple labs, including the FBI, tests a piece of evidence and says there's nothing usable here. And then years later, another private lab comes in and says, oh, actually, there's a perfect fingerprint uh, on that or a perfect profile on there. Some of that going on. Sure. Um, and and it, it's also was very clear that the the detectives seem to have had blinders on right away. And that doesn't necessarily mean they got it wrong. Uh, but 
they definitely jumped to some conclusions early. And then there's a whole nother ball of wax when it comes to conspiracy, some conspiracies when it comes to some people who maybe should have been suspects who, because of who they knew, ended Uh-oh. up not being suspects or there's, we're going to get into all that. But I mean, there's, this case is an absolute disaster hmm. the way that it was, that it was investigated and prosecuted. I'll say that. Well, that leads to just a couple of last kind of questions and comments that I'm sure you'll be getting into deeper into the season. You know, Lori points out if getting to Pinion Pines is rather difficult and it's that quiet a community, how were the perps able to flee? Uh, There's some chatter in the YouTube chat about how much it was likely that they would need to be local, right, to do something like this and then not be seen. And I think Nancy sums it up really well. Uh, two, uh, how did this town end up as a place for people who wanted to live away from others so much? How do the people end up there? I feel like the town itself has a story. So hoping that you're going to grow out the community to help us to understand more about how this all happened and why people are in prison who are. Honestly, the town could be its own podcast. And so I don't know how much we'll get into about I don't know exactly right now where it all started. I'm super interested in it myself. But I've tried not to distract myself with a lot of the insanity that has gone on around there. Is there any businesses in that region? No. Like where that community is? There's So when you go down to 74, there is the fire station. Then around the corner a little bit, there's like an old little diner. Okay. I don't even know if it's still operating. But there's a, a phone booth that's been decommissioned there. But there was no cell service up in Pinion Pine. So a lot of people. 2006. Yeah. Yeah, would use – I mean, even now, I can – like, because Jim asked me, he's like, well, I can go to the crime scene and FaceTime you. I'm like, no, you can't. You're not, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe a phone call. Definitely not a FaceTime from up there. There's hardly any service. But people would, you know, if they were out driving, whatever, they would stop and use the the pay phone there. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember what else What else was she asking about besides – Oh, just – I, I mean, I, I kind of put them all into one section because I think it's just a sort of general idea of – would the perps have to be local because of the community, oh, right, the way right. it's shaped, the people keeping to themselves? Like, it's just sort of a big picture, you know, talking about the town and, and how big a part it may have played or the community, rather. I, I don't think that the, the police really considered the f- idea of them being local. It, they, it, it's, it's, it's something that we I think we need to look at. And, and I don't know exactly where we're going to go with all that. And just to know what's, what area the police serve, you know, if that's such a small community, like just to get a broader. So it's Riverside County and yeah. they're, they're, they, don't have a, they don't have a station anywhere close to there. So okay. they were a long, long response time to get out there. But like I said, the, you know, you could look at the map and there, there are a few routes that someone could take leaving. You know, like if they turned left out of the driveway, there's two different roads they could take to head back south. If they turn right, it's kind of the same two or three roads. They all end up kind of funneling back down into the same place. but they're again there's you know there's only they have to drive down alpine road one way or the other there's no reason to be on that road and again at 10 o'clock at night is i don't remember if i included this in the episode i think i did chris you know this is a very working class community you know people are you know at that time of night it's quiet up there it's people are sleeping they're in bed you know people aren't aren't staying up late at night so you think at 10 o'clock at night on a sunday night people would notice a vehicle leaving the neighborhood there and there, there, there is something coming up that involves a vehicle that we're going to be talking about in the next couple, couple of episodes. Well, you have absolutely roped everyone in everyone watching and listening right now are talking about how hooked they are already. I'm sure that's how all the listeners are feeling 
Uh, Zap, you feel the same way, I'm sure. Oh, I'm, this going? I'm ready to go. You know, we've talked about it before, but I, I'm I'm so ready to get back to what truth and justice is and, and to delve into this. And I'm really excited to see where this case goes. Yeah. I think that's all we've Me got. Too. And we're glad that you, too, are excited about it. That would be really bad if you weren't excited <laughs> about it. It would be very disappointing. So... I've been excited about this case for months, just waiting for the the chance to start. And that was, you know, part of it was, you know, people were asking about the family. So that was part of why I was kind of pushing back. I was hoping to make some more connections there, but it's, you know, we got to a point where it was like, we just need to start going. That They may be mad, they, but the, oftentimes that's how they'll reach out to me because if I can't find them, I'm easier to find than they are. So, uh, but yeah, make sure you turn in this, tune in on Sunday uh, for, we're going to br- break down some victimology. We're going to get into some timeline stuff. Uh, tons and tons and tons more to come. Make sure you stay tuned. Uh, everybody that joined us on the YouTube live, thank you so much. Sorry we didn't get to a lot of your chats, but we had a ton of questions. And we're I tried already... to I tried to summarize as much as I could. Yep. So thank you, everyone, and make sure you tune in on Sunday. Thanks, Janet and Zach, and we'll talk to you guys all next week. Thanks, everybody. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Mike Bussing and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.
I am joined by Zach and Janet. We are all three in. <laughs> what am I? You gonna, failed. You what failed the fuck miserably. Was I even thinking about saying? I don't. Even Wait, are we supposed to be streaming on YouTube? Right? Sorry, just just Not checking. Yet. Okay, got sorry. First. Great. Yep. Sorry. Every year, one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.